Welcome to Deep Thrones Midweek Mayhem. Midweek Mayhem. Sorry. <laughs> I, it's a sad that was a sad one because it's our last one. It's our final one for this season. I am Sims, my partner She's here. What's up, Sheeves? Hey Chris. Guys, quick yeah, what Chris was just saying, it's not our final one ever, but it's our final one of this season. Final sad. one of the season and we don't have a guest this time, which is the first time this year. Probably, I think the first time since season seven that we haven't had a guest on Midweek Mayhem. That's true. And, and Midweek Mayhem is, I, it's, I enjoy Midweek Mayhem. I love it. I think it's very fun to do. I love the extra information we get, the little games we play. It's always more fun with a guest. But I think for this last one, we ended how we started at me and Chris, just the sauce boys of the studio, breaking down what we thought of House of the Dragon episode 10, the show as a whole. And then maybe a little look ahead. And we will have one more episode in the coming weeks. Uh, but that's for later on, Chris. How's it, how's it bad, man? How are you doing? Where are you? I'm doing well. I am in Ohio right now on a work trip. He so, never stops. You know, we're, 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 we're putting in the hours. We, the, de- the level of dedication we give to our fans is honestly just, you know, we should get like some sort of prize or something. Nobel Peace Prize type thing. Like a Nobel Prize yeah. for effort. Is there a Nobel Prize for effort? The Nobel Effort uh, Prize goes uh, to the Sauce Boys of the Deep effort, The Nuffert the the Prize. I'd take it. I think we deserve it. And there is actually, you get money when you win a Nobel Prize. Uh, I learned. I remember that that you do actually get well, money. but it's 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 supposedly for like the research or whatever that you're actually getting the prize for, right? Like it's not just oh, here's your award money for doing well. Sure, I'll put it toward an HBO Max subscription for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but let's get into this, Chris. You got anything else you wanted to open with, or you just want to get into the guts of this episode? No, I mean we we we're raw dogging it here. We don't. I appreciate that. You know what? You know what, Chidi? Tell me about your Thrones journey. Are you a book reader? Are you? It's a, a show great question, watcher? Chris. I was a show watcher, and then I got into the books thanks to you. I started watching the show in uh, early January 2018 on your on your request because you said, "Hey, let's do a podcast about Game of Thrones," and I was like, "Okay, let's do it." Uh, and that was and all. It's it crazy because you've never been one, even to this day. If someone mentions watch a show to you you're like well never i, I will but then you're never gonna do it never gonna, gonna watch gonna it. it never gonna watch. i think for me it was the um opportunity to do something creative with a podcast which i immediately loved that idea because you know me i like the creative shit and then two game of thrones is it's one of those shows and whenever anyone says ah i do oh, just watch it like literally it grabbed me it hooked me got its claws in me and now i'm never turning back you know um, oh yeah you saw danny's toes once and you're just like I was like, uh oh, winter is coming. You're right, Ned. Um, <laughs> and then here we are. But uh, on your on your request, I also got into the books. They're very good. I got all the books. So many books. I got all the books. The biggest books. The, the colorfulest books, books. books. What's your Thrones journey, Chris? So I I started watching in college in about 2012, and I was binging at that point in time, catching up, and then I I. Eventually got on pace, and the first time, I think the first break that I had was during season five, so I'm like, I I need more content. I need more of this, so that's when I started reading the books, got through all those pretty rapidly. Season six came out, and that was when we started the pod, right, or was it season seven? It was after seven, I believe. Yeah, so, yeah, post-seven, so by that point in time, I had already read the books and then world of ice and fire came out. So that was when I really started getting into the lore of everything. And, and that, that was pretty much game over. I was like, okay, well, I, 
I'm going to consume every single bit of content of the Westeros Song of Ice and Fire world that I can get. And here we are. Yeah, and you, yeah, honestly, yeah. For me, it was Danny's toes. For you, it was George's words. And I think that there's something great <laughs> about that. You know, we're very... We're so we're all different, and yet we're all so similar, which I think is so beautiful. Uh, but let's get exactly. into this. First off, I want to just say this off the jump. I loved season one. I thought, given what they had to do time jump-wise, I, I was critical probably around season four or five. Me and you had a great discussion, really probably deep discussion Episode about it. Episode four or five. Yeah, sorry. And eventually I just was like, all right, now I kind of you kind of explained to me your point on it, and I really started to see what they were doing. And I thought for what they had to do, they did a very good job. And shit, I mean, they're already away on pre-production on season two by writing out the scripts. I mean, overall, Chris, two thumbs up from me. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that because we did have some, I mean, even I would even qualify them as heated discussions some about quarrels. the pacing of the show in season one. Yeah. What, what we understood about the direction of where they were going and... I obviously have a biased outlook because this is this is a story that I've been reading about for years in, in different formats. Before Fire and Blood came out, it was mentioned in a world of Ice and Fire. Obviously, it's been on Wiki, a wiki of Ice and Fire for years. And so I was biased in just wanting to see this on screen for, you know, I would, I would say sure. probably like five years or so. And then to actually see it coming on screen and hearing not not just from you because i think you had pretty fair points of everything i was trying to be the voice of that of that twitter crowd a little bit yeah absolutely and 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 some people who you know some people that didn't even watch game of thrones or you know people who didn't understand that the time jumps were necessary or else we would have just heard this is the most slow boring exactly uh non non exciting show of all time and so I think there's no denying that within each episode, not each episode, but some of the episodes, you could definitely look and be like, oh, that was paced a little weird just in terms of how the episode moves. But it was a, I mean, it's a necessary evil. I mean, basically, I mean, people don't know this, but when when Hollywood first came to George about Game of Thrones, the the season we, you know, the show we saw, you know, 10 years ago, they wanted to make it a movie. So just imagine how fucked up the pacing on that would have been. And George was like, that's just not going to work. No. You know, so so that was it was probably a few episodes after we had that argument, which shows you guys we put a lot into this, our hearts and souls into it. Um, we had that argument and then I started to see the show sort of really figure it out. Kind of it, it they tied up pieces in the episodes a little better. And I was like, now I see exactly like mm-hmm. it, it's they had to do it to give you that backstory. And then they sort of give you what you need to see. And now we're at the point where war is about to break out. And Condal himself in Variety Interview said, like, hey, just FYI, it's going to be more Game of Thrones-esque next year because it's linear, no time jumps, and we're going to be bouncing around Westeros. But let's get into yeah, this episode. This is good news. And before we dive into that, I do just want to add, you talked about George. He mentioned that he wanted to start even earlier than this during Jaehaerys' reign. Oh, my God. When his sons were still alive. So yeah. that's, you know, you're talking about 70 AC and where we picked up was 101 AC uh, yeah. at the Great Council, and then time jumped to like 107. So the it, it could have been a lot. It could have been a lot slower, and I think the show would have suffered for it, and the viewers would have suffered for it. So, and every review I've seen, I'm saying after the season, the last two days, going on three days now, has been, yo, we can't wait for season two. What's going to happen? So they did what they needed to do. They fucking stuck the landing. Um, let's talk about Harold Westerling. He didn't roll in at Dragonstone yet. Do we have, I mean, he's dead in the books. Where's he at? What do you think he's doing? 
that's that's the million dollar question. What are they gonna What are they gonna do with Harold Westerling? I think it, it's dangerous because if they don't ever address him again within this within the show's timeline, then it's a major like plot hole, right? Yeah, I think they but, have to. But also, I, I think they have to. But also, like who they're gonna have to replace someone in Fire and Blood with his character. Mm. So I'm just wondering who that's gonna be. You can't really just like add a completely different. I mean, I guess you could, but they've been sticking to the source material pretty well. So pretty I don't easily, know. Yeah, and, and also you never know when he's going to pop back up. I, he doesn't necessarily. I mean, remember they've had characters bounce away and then pop up when the Hound we thought was dead with Arya and then Gendry, you know, Gendry um, a more similar, uh, I guess, uh, person to Harold Westerling, Barristan Selmy. Right? He disappeared and then yeah. popped up with Danny. So they could have him pop up at any point. The question is when. And I mean, I would, I would bet the house that he does show up. I mean, the character can't go away. Not the way he exited. Um, obviously, yeah, I, I have issue with the Greens letting him live. It seems against type for Otto. It didn't. It didn't make sense with with Otto's whole take a knee or die situation to yeah. just let him roll out. Yeah, especially but, in the same scene when when Beesberry pretty much has the same objections that Westerling did, and exactly. he died for it right there. He got his fucking head smashed in. Uh, yeah, so we'll see. And also, again, a, a second confirmation. This one is a big one because he's the showrunner, Ryan Condal, Dare on the Daring, season two. He's at Old Town oh, right yeah. now with the boys. <laughs> he's 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 been vibing at Old Town for a while. It's like, do, does he even know his brothers? Does he does he know his mom? Allison even said like. Rhaenyra will kill you and your younger brother and Helena and like never mentioned that da- da- they're on the daring, which was great. Yeah. Uh, but it's cool. Is it maybe because he's safe and you know, um, how come Cyrax didn't conduct the, the Targaryen funeral on and Rhaenyra's baby's death? I was thinking about that on my, on my rewatch. And the only thing that I could come up with as far as explanations go is that when we saw Viserys and Emma's child die, Emma was also present on the pyre. And so it, it kind of desired more fire, I guess, to, to kind of put that pyre, go, get that pyre going. And with just the baby, I'm thinking maybe they don't need all that, Heat. all that fire. Yeah. Right? Maybe I, I it's think tough. it would completely engulf. You wouldn't even see the pyre necessarily. I've learned this from true crime podcasts. All right. So I'm going to preface this with that, but it's actually tough to burn a human body. So yeah, you're maybe you're right. It takes the extra blast for Emma because she's larger. You learn that person. on, you learn that on podcasts. True crime podcasts. They talk about, mm-hmm. you know, serial killers, how their disposal process, you know, some of them yeah. use fire and it's difficult to do, I guess. Cause it's, because it's it's funny because one of your personal heroes is Larry Strong and his preferred method of death. Okay, first is, of all, is he's, fire. He's not a personal hero; he's a friend. <laughs> all right. <laughs> in, in the in, when we did that like buddy draft, I said he'd be a pal. He's not a hero of mine. All right. Mm-hmm. He's just he's honestly I don't even know if he's Team Greens right now. He's just a source. He's a source in the field. All right. We're not friends. Don't even I know the guy. I think you're picking up on some pyromaniac ideologies from him i like to stay and watch them put it out um <laughs> we drew comparisons <laughs> between emma lena and rhaenyra uh but we didn't mention the comparisons to viserys yeah i i noticed this um when i was watching one of the behind the scenes episodes and emma darcy was talking and they said they were saying basically emma went through this she had a miscarriage you know she didn't mention 
Lena, but we saw it. Lena had a very rough pregnancy and decided to have her dragon burn her alive instead of actually delivering the baby. And so I thought it was obvious to draw those comparisons to Emma and Lena. However, we we missed that Rainier is is now the ruler, right? So she has a unique perspective of carrying the baby, but also being in Viserys' shoes when he had to make the decision on Emma and and the baby in that moment. All right. And so it's a, it's a very unique perspective where Rhaenyra is fighting for her own life because she even says like it's her job to keep the realm from you know spiraling into war and all this. And she's got the weight of the world on her shoulders, but she is also going through this, like, get out, get out, get out, you know, where she wants to get rid of this baby. I don't even think she cares about its health at that point. She knows it's a couple months early. And so I I think it's a very, I think it's a very unique way to look at it, you know, not, not compare. And did you look at it? (laughs) I think it's a unique way to look at it, not comparing Venera so much to, the women in that situation, but she also had the weight of the world like Viserys did in his scenario. Wow, that's, yeah, that's all true. I never even thought of that. And, like, along that line, discussing more parallels, there were some uh, pretty clear parallels between Otto and Rhaenyra in terms of their kneeling scenes. Yes. Or, I'm sorry, Rainies. <laughs> so, well, no, I, I think you were right the first time, Rhaenyra. So, Otto, in Otto's kneeling situation, we were talking about it earlier with Harold westerling he says kneel or die essentially there's you know if you're against me you're either with me or you're against me and, and we're putting that fire out right here now Rhaenyra when she is has that kind of um I guess on the go coronation that she has yeah. impromptu coronation everyone knees but then Rainey's is standing back there and just kind of chilling, and you're like wondering if, if she's going to kneel, or does that mean that she's going to go against Rhaenyra? But Rhaenyra doesn't get hostile with her at all. As a matter of fact, they they kind of lock eyes, and I think there was a, a level of mutual respect there. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're kind of seeing, again, that the Blacks showing a little bit more compassion. I think, I mean, we talked Stupid. about this. Yeah, Nazi, it's really dumb. Everyone really... except Damon. is a pretty decent person on the black side i think whereas when we look at the same things done on the green side they tend to uh be a little more reckless to say the least yeah i think damon is having a rough week on the old uh, instagram and twitter machine in terms of uh people don't know how to react to that choke scene man it's it's been weird um what's there not to know i mean He's, I think he, it's just because people people liked him so much, and now they sort of had the rug pulled out from under them. So, like, we hated that scene that they added that, and it's like, but Damon, that's his character, you know? He murdered his other wife. Yeah, that they didn't care about that, because that other wife, who, you know, <laughs> they didn't even know her, you know? <laughs> but I, I, I'm a, I agree with you, but I'm just telling you what the, you know, the Twitter stands are saying. Um, the page yeah. from the book that Allison sent to Rhaenyra via Otto, you got anything about that? Yes. So if we look back on episode one, and I know that seems like it was ages ago now, but I was a different person. Uh, was, yeah, we, we were all different. We all did time jumps. I feel like oh I aged God. like 10 years. From Me then. too, dude. But Allison, if you remember, was trying to get Rhaenyra to kind of study this book. I don't know if they were like learning about Nymeria. Yeah, she was laying in her lap, that, yeah. not paying attention. I like, never just about cake. Yeah. <laughs> so so then like Allison gets pissed and kind of storms off that Rhaenyra doesn't want to go along with this story. And then Rhaenyra just cuts her off and starts 
basically cutting to the chase of the story and talking about how Nymeria came over in 10,000 ships from Rhine and uh, basically married a Dornish prince and ended up, you know, all this stuff. So it, it was um, it was cool to see them kind of loop back to that. However, it is interesting to me that Alicent would send that page because Nymeria was a female, basically conqueror, yeah. who married into a patriarchal society and flipped it upside down so much to the point she where pancaked it. Now, now Dorne is the only place in the Seven Kingdoms that can be actually ruled by a woman. So it doesn't really, it's kind of like a dunk on herself that she would send that to Rhaenyra. Yeah, but she was yeah. trying to play to her heartstrings of like, remember our time together. This would be like if you replaced Alicent and Rhaenyra with me and you, and like you were on Dragonstone. And my dad Otto shows up and Otto hands you that thing and you open it and it's just a dick with a bow tie and a smiley face <laughs> from when the, we party to, time. the party time from when we used to draw dicks on books in high school. And, it would, and, you, and you have to admit that would tug at your heartstrings a little bit. Oh, it absolutely yeah. would. But I, it, it would be peculiar, though, if you sent that to me and you had just stolen my throne. But that was something that like only I could do or something. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it, like it say, just... say certain words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd be like, Chris, remember that time? Um, all right. So um, one character that has experienced some major loss but has been overlooked is Raina. Raina, of course, is Damon's daughter, um, sister to Bela. Yeah. Uh, shout out friend of the pod. I think it was Hannah who, who mentioned this via text the other day. I think but, you're right. Um, but basically, Raina has kind of gotten the shit into the stick. I mean, her... Her mom died. Her her dad is, you know, basically an absentee father at this point, hell-bent on war. Her stepmother is inheriting the Seven Kingdoms. Although she is a good person, she's just very busy at this point in time. Um, her grandfather she's not her stepmother. She's the mom who stepped up. All right. Yes, exactly. But now I guess her, I guess her grandfather's fine now. But it's just kind of like, you know, she's, she's getting... You know, shit after shit. Her betrothed husband just died. Her uncle died. Her uncle died. Bayman, he got her right? he got his head cut off by her Bayman. dad <laughs> in, in front of in front of her. And is she the and one so, that's dragonless? And she's dragonless. Oh my god, Bela or Raina? Raina. So, oh. I mean, I feel bad. I hope she has a hell of a season next year. I didn't honestly. Now that we've contextualized that, I feel bad for her now. Luke, I mean, she's got, bitch, she doesn't though. even have a dragon to fall back no, on. No, I know. What's she going to do? Well, she's. I'm sure she's going to get in the mix. Don't spoil it for us. I'm sure you know, but maybe who knows? Vermithor, Vermithor for her? That'd be cool. Come up of a century. <laughs> you know? Little yeah, Eamon did yeah, it. Yeah, that would be, that would be like, cool. Why not me? Why can't I be great? Because I actually don't know. So if I predicted that accurately, that's not a spoiler. That's a hashtag sheety prediction. <laughs> um, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say nothing on that one. Corliss's statement. Our pursuit of the Iron Throne is at an end. Was important. Why? You know, Corliss comes to the realization that all this shit that he's been subconsciously fighting for behind the scenes, and he's been, you know, pushing it on Rainus and her claim. It's he. He basically admitted it's because he wanted to take the Iron Throne, or or be as close to it as he could, and and this becomes incredibly important because now you have. Rhaenyra's claim and he's saying I don't want to take a side in this and now he, he's forced to take a side and you know as this war goes on it's going to become more and more costly 
for him to continue this pursuit of even backing someone for the Iron Throne. And I think that's something to keep an eye on. I think we need to note that he's tired of this shit right now. And we'll keep an eye on see how that how that plays out throughout the next couple of seasons. Write that down, guys. Keep an eye on the sea snake. He's walking with a cane. His throat was slashed. He overcame the you know the blood fever, but he's chosen a side, and that fleet is going to be watching Narrow Sea for Rhaenyra. Uh, speaking of Rhaenyra, her move of desperation to betroth her sons like immediately and join families, uh, and also her her pact with the Valerians. Uh, that's kind of her saving grace right now. That's like all she's got because before even the Valerians were in the mix, their houses, not that great. Yeah, she would not have, even though she has the rightful claim, it wouldn't matter. If, if the Valerians weren't on her side, she doesn't really have shit. I mean, she has Damon trying to go to war, but, you know, they they would... The Greens would easily overpower them at this point if I don't they had know, no dude. fleet protecting. You remember Damon on the Stepstones. One Damon is worth 40,000 soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah, you get to see it. And arrows just coming at him and everything. He is worth yeah. 8 billion arrows. But He's like Sonic. Looks like, well, actually, you know what? Toward the end, it looks like Damon kind of got what he wanted when, uh, when, when Luke died and He's acting kind of sad, but that's Dude, really what he wanted. Literally, wasn't. he is Winston Churchill after he found out about Pearl Harbor. He called FDR yeah. was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And everyone who was, like, in the room with Churchill was watching him, like, fist pump. And, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I, I think you're, you're spot on. That's that's her only saving grace. And if, if the Valerians weren't on the side, we probably would have a, a pretty short and sweet war coming up. But, yeah, Luke kind of fucked up because, granted, he's betrothed. But he also could have been like, listen, I got other brothers for your daughters, uh, Boros Baratheon. But also Boros was in a terse mood, and apparently he can't read. Yeah, yeah, Boros was being a cha, and Luke is obviously a little boy. I think I think he was, what, like 12 or 13, yeah, they said? he didn't know or what to One say. and four, they said, so so 14. So he's, you know, Luke is probably shocked he lands and sees Vagar. Then he walks in, and Aemon's there, and giving him a fucking sapphire eye look. And then, you have Boros going nuts. So, yeah, there's a lot going on, but Luke, if, if a betrothal was all that, Lord Baratheon wanted to kind of even the playing field. You have three younger brothers, right? Right? Aegon, Viserys, and isn't there another one? Joffrey, Joffrey. right? Yeah. yeah, Joffrey. So it's like, dude, like, learn how to play the game. That That's the perfect example. You win the Game of Thrones or you die. Dude. And that's, that's what happened to him. Yeah, that's a great point. He, you know, it's, I know people might be like, well, he was young, but we have seen young people in Game of Thrones sort of move chess pieces. You know, Arya was always very good at it. Keep in mind, Danny yeah. was supposed to be super young at the beginning of the series, even when she yeah. was the Khaleesi. I mean, um, Bran was a survivor, too. I mean, look at that. I don't want to. Yeah. I mean, sure. Sure. <laughs> but then also, they also have done a good job. Like Sansa, when she was young, made some questionable decisions. Rick on when he was young. You know, what a piece of well, shit. Well, he ended up. He ended up dying. Yeah, you got what he fucking deserved, huh? Um, speaking of Danny, let's talk about um, Rhaenyra's chambers on Dragonstone because that was also in Game of Thrones as the map room because I, when Danny is the Mad Queen and is like staring out the window, it's in the background during Rhaenyra's birthday yeah. scene. It looks like so that that massive dragon head that's on the wall there is um, is still in the in the same room, but it's, it's really being cool. used as Rhaenyra's chambers. And the reason that they did that was because. They wanted to make the actual map room very grandiose, and they were intentional about making it a massive hall that could fit all the lords and ladies that would 
being there while Aegon's kind of planning his, while Aegon the Conqueror is planning his conquest, right? Right. And so it, it would have looked a lot different. It makes sense that maybe by the time Stannis occupied Dragonstone, certainly by the time Danny did, that that room probably would have taken some other use or fell into ruin or something like exactly. that. So it is. It is cool, and they they make um, they made that dragon that's on the side of the wall in what was what was Rhaenyra's chambers. They added kind of a veneer of Valerian steel to it too, so that made it even look more new than what it did. And when we saw it in Dan- Danny's map room, that's awesome. And I love Stannis's that. map, room. and it makes sense. Yeah. Like you said, things change over time. Two hundred years. I'm really excited for next season. One, we get to see River Run. You know, most likely. Two, we get to yeah. see the Vale most likely. We get to see Winterfell most likely. We get to see Heron Hall most likely. Maybe even Casterly Rock. I don't know. Old Town. And not only do we get to see these places, but we can compare them to how they were in Game of Thrones. Not Old Town so much. Was Old Town in, in Game of Thrones? It might have been. I mean, if they if they go check out, Wait, well, is, it was. Where is High Tower located? The one time, right? High Towers in Old Town. Okay, so okay, yeah. so I'm not sounding like a complete idiot right now. But, yeah, yeah, you're right. They did once Sam goes to the Citadel. So I would love to see and compare because mm-hmm. they said, like you said so many times, they're going to try to keep the world, you know, cohesive. They're trying to keep the continuity. But things are younger. They're going to look a little fresh. Could put a little paint on those bad boys, you know? And I love I love that they're doing that. It, it would be so easy to just kind of just, like, you know, dust your hands off yeah. and, and start a brand new kind of world, which, which at some point, points would be justified because of how many people were upset about the end of game of thrones but i think it's a much better idea and i think it's a much fresher look to own it and then make it your own condal's owned it for sure game of thrones has been owned by this show and for better or worse whatever you want to say it doesn't really matter they've owned it and, and they're going with it for house of the dragon the history's been great um speaking mm-hmm. of all those rooms the painted table was actually like a focal point of the grand hall right you have any insight on how they made it yeah, so remember when we were watching and they actually like lit up the yeah, lit up hype. the table and we were like, it. yeah, it's, they just didn't know. Stannis didn't know that she could. He didn't know it how up. it worked. <laughs> he didn't know how it worked. Does Stannis look like so a guy they, who's got time to figure that out? No, but you would think you would think the red priestess in there that's all about fire would be able to figure that one out. Yeah, but, true, true. You know, I, but uh, she a lot of a lot of her predict, a lot of her predictions and calls turned out to be pretty wrong. Yeah, that's true. But it turns out it wasn't fire. It was LED lights. So I, I, that makes sense that you didn't figure that one out. I'm surprised they have that <laughs> yeah, technology. It was LED lights. You know, they, they got if they got dragons and magic, they got LED lights. That's fair. But they had them underneath the table. They, they lit it up. It looked freaking sweet. So now the actors are actually in this actually in this hall, right? And, and they have the lit up table. So, I mean, I'm just I, – I keep thinking. It's like, listen, how's the dragon, Ryan? You know, if you want to hire someone who knows the the area, you know, I, I know the market. I know the Westeros housing market very well. Why don't you hire me? I could act in that. It, it looks like you're basically there. I don't even need to, I don't need to be like imagine, imaginative. I love that. I, just fit in. I, I love the idea of a real estate agent in Westeros. That's awesome. Hey, I'm your guy. <laughs> you want to live in the north, or do you want to live more in the westernland? It's totally up to you. I can find you know competitive prices everywhere. Um, this this show. So for this episode, there was filming at Monsanto, Portugal, uh, with limited logistics access. Yeah, it was cool watching this on on the house that the dragon built. They had to actually they had to actually work with the Portuguese air, air force in order to 
bring in a lot of the set designs and props and everything. So they had helicopters flying in. Wow. They had different stations set up around this mountain that you literally had to hike up to, uh, to be able to, to set up the Dragonstone set and the Dragonmont set. There was actually like, you could take kind of a, I guess like a shuttle, but then on the last 15 minutes, there was no choice. You had to get out and hike up the mountain. So every day that they had to film at Monsanto, they, they had to do a hike beforehand which the actors were saying it, you know, they, they got kind of used to it. And then when they didn't have to do it, they, they missed it. Cause it was kind of like a long time right. doing that walk. But yeah, it was cool. It was, it was interesting that they went through all that to, to get that set going. Yeah. Geez. A 15 minute hike every day. No, thank you. I'd pass on that. Or maybe you use it as a good time to get into character to pump up, maybe listen to some music, you know, Act like mm-hmm. you're in the character walking up that hill. How they how they take it, I guess, as an actor, that maybe would be a good approach. Um, I love this. They use dragon heads on sticks for filming. Yeah, it's it, it's very funny looking, but they have these intricate dragon heads, and they just jam it on a stick. And so, you know, in, in the scene where Damon's kind of forcing the King's Guard to pledge allegiance, they have to like pretend like they're scared of this little dragon stick that someone's holding out there it's sort of but like the horse kind of funny. the horse head on a stick that you know you'd have as like a kid you yeah know? yeah like that guy mm-hmm. dude i gotta get it's my exactly hands on like those. that yeah or the net the, the net head on a stick you know the nedless horseman the nedless horseman man r.i.p to the realist that's why i mean it's amazing what the i wonder if that's just done to for is it done so that the actors know where to look it's it's two parts to it it's done well from my understanding from what i've watched it's done so that the actors know how to know where to look and it's also done so that the visual visual effects company knows okay this is where the head is let's build it onto this how does it how does it move with how the head's moving and things like that so two two part explanation there yeah no that's awesome and speaking of multi-explanations greg uh Greg Yatanes, who's the co-executive producer and director of this last episode, says that Condal, when he writes, there's five scenes in every one scene. Yeah, I, I, I just thought this would be interesting to note because we've talked about this, how there, there seems to be stuff going on behind the scenes. And I think Condal does a good job at kind of like, like the example that he was talking about was in that coronation scene with Rhaenyra, you have the devastation of her child dying, but you also have the joy of her being named queen but then you also have the fear of okay well my brother's trying to take it and then you have rain standing in the background looking not sure if she's going to join so and, and then you also have damon who's like jealous about it so Sir eric cool just showed up who's he you know kind of like all these different things going on yeah no yeah. that's true he does there is i wonder if that makes it challenging as an actor and, and they probably like it because that you know you have to be able to express those different things and have them weigh on you and i think you know emma darcy has done such a fabulous job no no knock on millie alcock she was amazing as young rhaenyra but emma has absolutely just carried the torch with much aplomb you know it's like one of those relay races and emma and olivia have taken off with the with the batons uh, handed to them from millie and, and emily yeah they've been crushing it yeah man no i, I totally agree and uh, let's let's move on to storm's end let's talk about this what we know about baratheons right we know boros we know Robert, we know Stannis, we know Renly. Boros, we don't know that well, but we know we know Robert, Renly, and Stannis really well. We know Storm's End. We think we know the Baratheons. Storm's End had a weird vibe. Gr- granted, it was a massive hall, but like the tall tower at Storm's End was cool. 
but the inside hall there was no defining baratheon features to me it didn't you know yeah i found it when i was looking at it i couldn't quite place it but I, i i wasn't digging the vibes when i first saw on my first watch and maybe it was because there wasn't you know crowned antlers or i guess even like the regular antlers banners hanging around everywhere maybe it was the fact that what we're used to seeing from game of thrones like renly was super extravagant robert baratheon was king so he had jewels and and money and all that wealth uh food everywhere you know stannis even to an extent was i mean he at least was like buttoned up and clean a little bit and i thought that what we saw on screen was just kind of like very uh for lack of a better word like kind of overbearing and like cold uh, it was cold it was dark cold, it was cold yeah. you're a great house and, where's the light have some right. have a and, have a fire so so i kind of you know me being the the nerd that i am like i spent a lot of time thinking about this and then i kind of started making it make sense in my head and what i came up with was it it did very much remind me of the old durandon storm kings and that that is who the baratheons ended up taking over um after aegon's conquest oris baratheon was the first baratheon lord and he was best friends with aegon the conqueror and that's how he ended up getting the seat of storm's end after aegon smashed the durandon host but it was very much reminiscent of the old storm kings like never never yielding you cannot you cannot negotiate with them. They're, they're, you know, very overbearing. There's, there's one way and that's their way. Yeah. And that was, that was very much the vibe that I got from Storm's End and Storm's End hadn't changed from that. So, you know, maybe our, our perception of it when we saw it 200 years later, 300 years later. And plus Robert's the king at that point, you know, right. There's stag sigils everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they got the stag flying high and a couple of Lannister lions at that point, but mostly the stag of House Baratheon. And you're right, maybe that is it. And, you know, I think in my head, I was like, well, before you even said it, I was like, well, they were friend- good pals with Aegon, so you would think that he would have. But by giving them Storm's End, essentially, he was like, here. And the Baratheons seem like blue collar guys. You know what I mean? Right. They seem like necessarily, mm-hmm. maybe they wouldn't be that extravagant. Maybe they would take on the Forebears sort of style. Um, yeah, especially, I mean, it, it looked like Boros's dad maybe had a little bit more common flair to him a little bit. Yeah, when he was with Rhaenyra, he was to a, get out there and mingle. Yeah, he was fresh cut. He was at King's Landing, I think, in a couple scenes, you know. Yeah. I think uh, Boros is a little bit more, he's illiterate, which is interesting, uh, because he yeah. had to have the maester read him the, the raven. Um, yeah. So maybe he just it says is, a lot. I know. I mean, it does. It's sort of, it's, I mean, not to dunk on people who might have trouble reading but for for a great lord i mean uh, he grew up in a, a great house you know they're su- super well educated you know that's with the maester that yeah. talks to him every single day yeah that's we see it with rhaenyra learning with the septus we see it with bran learning from maester uh uh what's his name maester ewan uh lewin maester lewin at winterfell maester right lewin, yeah. so we see this there's a lot to be said about the people in like flea bottom don't get a good education but the people that are highborn that's usually one of the reasons there is so much strife right and sort of a i don't know uh gap right but yeah he, he yeah. can't even, guy, kid can't even read <laughs> which i thought was yeah. interesting Let's talk about the battle that took place above Storm's End there, out over the bay of Shipbreaker Bay, uh, the design of it. 
Yeah, so th- this one was this was probably the most difficult scene for all of us to watch, but we you know, we talked about before how they have the actual dragon mounts dragon mounts that the actors get on, which was cool for, you know, to see that in the set. But then they also they threw them in that volume set, which we've talked about before, the hundreds of LED screens all around and kind of like a dome. But they were actually spraying water on on like the the actors and blowing wind and stuff. So all that that you see with with their hair blowing back and they're actually like squinting and all that, like it, it they're actually like getting doused and shit, which was which was funny to me. Um, yeah, no, it's but awesome. then I like they had it where both of the mounts were kind of like in the volume set at the same time too. So you could kind of like when they're yelling at each other, they could hear it and that could probably make it a little bit easier for them to act in that moment as well. Yeah. I get those natural reactions. But before they got to that point, (laughs) the actual design of the fight and how it was going to go in the air was all just done with little dragon toys. And there's these guys standing in a room and just, kind of like airplaning dragons yeah exactly so it's i mean it's crazy to watch how they do this stuff i I would never be able i I wouldn't be able to i wouldn't know where to start with something like that if you told me to film that i'd be like i have no idea i'd be like well we're gonna need some dragons you know we're gonna need some dragons (laughs) while trading dragons that are like sound mixing is always really funny because something as simple as someone walking it's a dude in a fucking studio next to a mic with like two blocks going like you know um so it's it's the whole filmmaking process is wild to me and and i, I think and here i am like best teams here i am like the pacing was a bit off in that episode and they literally <laughs> are making dragons fly and breathe fire you know yeah it's amazing I, I i think they've got one of the best teams in showbiz um working on that show they busted out the pocketbook obviously condal is leading season two by himself miguel shapachnik i think is just like tired of westeros it's taking a lot out of him apparently the covid years with house of the dragon was really hard and but he's gonna have his usual suspects and claire killing their stay close to production um obviously george is helping him map it out uh, from a very high level overview i think he's just going to him for a bit of guidance and he's just got a great team around him there at hbo yeah, I mean, when you when you can afford to pay every single person, oh, yeah. you can you can put together a good. He squad. signed that long term deal. No updates. I've been keeping my ear to the ground on the Snow Show on all the other shows that were in development. A lot of rumors and hearsay, but nothing's officially underway yet. Which some of those shows most likely will get shelved because that's just the way of the business. Uh, but we just got to keep yeah. an eye on it, you know. Sure. Which brings us to our final segment of the day. Just a final thank you to you guys. But before we get there, we're going to do a final sort of just a closing statement on our sides. Of course, Chris is team blacks. I'm team greens. Um, yeah, we just want to give our final piece about why we are the way that we are. Obviously, we have been all season. You've seen it sort of net develop naturally over time. But Chris, go ahead. Why don't you start about team blacks? Of course. Your Honor, if I may approach the bench. You may. The floor is yours. King Viserys Targaryen had dreams, he heard things, but there was one thing that was consistent throughout his entire time in office, and that was that he served the realm, not as its king, but as its deliverer from this this ice in the Song of Ice and Fire. And that was something that was very close to his heart, and he entrusted that information to one individual and one individual only. 
And that was his daughter, who he named his heir, Rhaenyra Targaryen. Okay? And he mm-hmm. didn't entrust that to his brother, Damon. He mm-hmm. didn't entrust that to his son, Aegon. Okay? It was yeah. Rhaenyra Targaryen. Mm-hmm. Named heir. She has been overly merciful to all these transgressions that have happened to her since since episode three of this season. She's been called... She's been called a whore. Mm. No, she's been called, she's basically been called a liar, a cheater. And she's been peaceful throughout all this, even up to the point where her Mm. son got murdered. She was ready for peace. Yeah. And so your honor, I think Mm -hmm. that this realm would be much better off if we just honor our dying peaceful King's wishes and install who he said would put the realm in the best hands, and that is Rhaenyra Targaryen, my queen. I appreciate that. And the the prosecution rests its case. I appreciate that. I respect that. I heard a lot of what you said. I appreciate where you're coming from. And if I may, Chris, let's go on a journey really quick, shall we? Oh, <laughs> let's talk is. about Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra Targaryen for just one second. I like Rhaenyra too. You're right. King Viserys, there's no debating. He chose her. But sometimes people choose wrong. Wouldn't you agree? And I agree that Rhaenyra would make a great queen, but her next of kin would not make a great king because Jace is a bastard. And let me take you forward in time from House of the Dragon to a a man that we all loved, we all respected. His name was Ned Stark. Robert Baratheon's dying wish was for his son Joffrey to sit the throne. And Ned didn't write down that Joffrey should be king. He wrote down who? I think he said something like Stannis Baratheon, didn't he? He tried to usurp the throne. Ned tried to usurp the throne from Robert's dying wish. Why? Because Joffrey Baratheon was a, say it with me, bastard. So it technically should go to the one legitimate child, Aegon II, and that's who has it. So I'm fine with it. Otto saw that. He had the foresight to see that. And he, he, he put all the pieces in place for Aegon II to sit on the throne because Jace is, is sure. He still has that Targaryen blood. That's cool. But it was a disgrace to the Valerians. It was a disgrace to Westeros. It was a disgrace to Alicent who was forced into a marriage pack and saw her duty through and betrothed the King, three beautiful sons. We don't know if Daron's beautiful, but I assume he is and a beautiful daughter. And that is why the bloodline should continue through Aegon the second and pass down pure, unbastard Targaryen blood. I rest my case. Okay, well, I'm going to honor the courts and not argue if your case rests. We'll leave this to the jury to the side. That's you folks listening. Over, overruled. Uh, the jury is tainted. The jury's been tainted. There's there's poop. There's a turd the punch bowl with this jury because we do our deep thrones <laughs> bowls and it's always like 80% blacks, 20% greens. And it's because they are falling into... The Hollywood, they're letting the show give them these feelings, you know. Yeah, next no, I season. Think the vote's legitimate. So we'll we'll have another vote. Dude, the final yeah, vote for the stop season. Stop the count. Stop the count. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a we'll have a recount for the end of the season. And I I I, I have heard more green voices though toward the end of the season. So maybe there might be a few more votes your way. We'll see. Maybe, we'll see. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I really like Rhaenyra. You know I do. 
I think she's awesome. I think she's a great character. I felt bad well, now, for her. Now you're pandering. Well, I'm trying. I'm playing both sides, Chris. <laughs> you got to play both sides. Uh, but yeah, no. Last midweek mayhem, guys. Oh my god. Yeah, it's it it, it it truly has been a pleasure. We have one more regular season episode coming out for you guys, and then we will continue to drop content. We will continue to stay up, keep everyone up to date on news. Thank you to everyone who listens, shares, subscribes, does anything. I mean, mm-hmm. people who've tweeted about it, um, people who have been on the pod, you, you know who you are. Obviously, Kinsey with the TikTok. Thank you. Uh, thank you, guys. Yeah, you get, you guys are the best. You, you, you guys you guys have kept us going through this, and we'll see you guys for one last regular season episode. Yep. yep. Thank you, guys. Uh, Chris, you good? Well, good. All right. Hey, Allison, hit me up. I love you.